Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, everybody, welcome in. Happy Monday. Happy September 12th to Gamecock Nation. I'm Chris Clark. I will be joined, don't worry, shortly by my colleague, my partner in crime, Wes Mitchell, wrapping up a couple of things. It's been a really busy Monday. Mondays during the football season, whew, wide open. Monday, Tuesday, really every day. They are all busy for a variety of reasons. Wes and I just wrapped up uh, a reaction Monday on 107.5, the games, GamecockCentral.com takeover hour. Pearson and Preston just got out of studio a little while ago and working on content and other things for you guys. So I'm starting the show. I started on time today. Hopefully you were impressed by that. And it's great to see everybody here. Already got some folks in the chat. Justin Simmons, realistic one, Mark Anderson. What's up, Craig Godwin and Nectarios Kapalos. Sorry if I mispronounced that. We should know by now. Anyway, good to see everybody here. Got a busy show today. A lot to talk about. Um, many, many storylines through two games. Obviously, South Carolina dropping a road decision to Arkansas in Fayetteville on Saturday. Um, I have a little bit of maybe hopefully unique perspective on that contest. I was in town. In Fayetteville, just got back late last night, so maybe I'll give you a few of my uh, a travel diary of sorts. I do not have a vlog like Kendall Smith, but I do have uh, some travel notes on Fayetteville. I met a lot of y'all. That's that's how I want to really start the show. I was blown away and overwhelmed by how many people came up to me in Arkansas on Dixon Street in the stadium, uh, wherever it may have been in Fayetteville, it was a lot of places, and came up and said what's up. Uh, the live show's been really awesome. Uh, when when Wes and I decided to launch the show, the number one reason that we did it was that we thought it would be a really cool way to connect with Gamecock fans. You know, you're writing on the internet. The internet can kind of be an impersonal place. We've gotten to know some of you guys because – you know, right back and forth on the Insiders Forum on Gamecock Central or on social media. Maybe we'd see each other at some events. But this show has been a really, really cool way to kind of put some faces with names, be able to interact with each other in the comments section. And it's been a really awesome thing. And since we've done that, um, you know, see a lot of y'all in Columbia at williams Bryce, And I cannot believe how many people, you know, uh, that I saw that knew people that I knew, people that maybe knew me from the show, people that I saw that I recognized from Columbia in Fayetteville. So it was actually a really good crowd uh, from Gamecock Nation. I was going to say Columbia, but heck, they were from all over. Um, saw people from Charlotte, Rock Hill, Columbia, Dallas. Uh, we went with a couple of friends uh, who were Gamecock fans from Dallas. So we got to hang out with them, and that was a blast. So again, some travel stuff coming up. I know y'all have 
some thoughts on the game, uh, whether it was stuff that happened in the game, thoughts on offense, defense, special teams, uh, thoughts going forward. Obviously, big challenge that we'll dive into uh, later in the week against Georgia. But if you've got game reactions, if you got short-term thoughts, if you got long-term thoughts throughout the rest of the 2022 season, uh, I would love to hear them. But again, thanks to all of you who came up and uh, said hello in Fayetteville. I was actually I was riding a an electric scooter uh, heading down towards just to check out the campus on Friday, and somebody stopped us as we were riding through on the scooter. So I mean. Awesome time. I uh, saw a big group of Gamecocks at the Dixon Street Pub. So a great time in Fayetteville. Really, really cool spot. We'll get into that more as time goes on. Uh, lots of people in on the show today. And of course, as you know, the reason that we are here doing this show, our good buddy Clint Hammond, the longtime presenting sponsor of GC Live, the branch manager of the Columbia Mortgage Network, in MLS number is 71597 or C Hammond at mortgagenetwork.com. You can also just call or text Clint. You got thoughts. He's probably got thoughts on the Arkansas game. Maybe you can even give him some of those. I'm sure that he will be able to help you with your mortgage and talk about the Gamecocks with you. 803-422-6797. So again, we'll be joined by Wes Mitchell here shortly. If you got thoughts on the game, um, come on. Would love to, uh, to throw up your thoughts here in the comment section if we, uh, if we deem them worthy, which a lot of you do have worthy thoughts. Big Red checking in first. Penalties seem to be huge against us last week. Um, I'm not sure if you mean the Georgia State game or the Arkansas game from Saturday. Maybe you mean this, this past game. We're certainly some penalties. Arkansas actually had a tougher time with penalties. Uh, Carolina did have, you know, the safety, which was probably inconsequential at the end of the game. Uh, but they did have the safety. I think, guys, the biggest issue is probably the turnovers. So a few stats. Let me get into some stats here. Flying solo for just a little bit. Wes and I are going to have, I think, some discussion We'll see if we agree, disagree on some things. I think we're largely on the same page about the game. But let me give you my two keys, and then I want to pose a question to y'all. So coming in, I think we knew that South Carolina was going to have to play a clean game, a, a good, clean game on the road against a very good Arkansas team. We saw when they played Cincinnati last week, the Bearcats are able to really take advantage of Arkansas through the air. So when you looked at it, you said, okay, there's probably some matchups here for South Carolina to exploit. And that was exacerbated and amplified or whatever other word you want to use by the fact that Arkansas had a couple of starting safeties out. And so that was South Carolina's game plan. But they still were going to have to come in and play really, really well. And while they hit some plays, they didn't play well enough to go win a, a game on the road against what I think is probably a really good Arkansas team. Um, couple keys. One, probably a few keys. When you get down early again, so you're down 21 to three. You, you, not the start that you wanted, and it's been kind of a theme in that they dig a hole early, especially on the road, then you have to come back and try to, to scramble late. Okay, so that's one key. But I thought the turnovers were, were a backbreaker, you know, Three turnovers for South Carolina. 
none for Arkansas. That's really, really difficult um, to, to overcome on the road, especially you look at, you know, one of the turnovers was Marshawn Lloyd fumble. He had caught the ball. He, I think they needed six yards. He had gotten seven, gets the ball knocked out. It's a turnover. Arkansas goes down and scores again. Late in the game, doesn't look great, but South Carolina is still in the game. They drive down, have a nice drive. Spencer Rattler throws an interception from the 17. Arkansas was largely able to control the game. Now, here is the question that I want to pose to y'all in light of this. To me, the offensive performance was not great, especially early. But I have have thought, from what I've seen, from what I've observed from Gamecock fans uh, online, especially on the Insiders Forum and just people I've talked to, a lot of the conversation has still seemed to center around South Carolina's offense. And, and I think there's some reasons for that. Number one, they struggled so mightily last season. And there's so much expectation of a turnaround this year that I think it's kind of amplified everything that the offense does. But, but let me, let me ask you this. Why do y'all think that the focus has been so much on the offense after this game? Uh, I think here's a stat to kind of marinate on two stats. South Carolina gave up touch scores on Arkansas's first three drives. I think they're, I mean, they scored on their first three drives. They missed a field goal, too. So three out of the first four drives they scored, and now they've got 21 points, you know, in the first half. And they were able to eat a lot of clock. And obviously you're not getting very favorable. You're not getting the ball in your own 40, your own 50 due to a punt or anything like that. So you don't get to play field position. Carolina also gave up 154 yards after contact to Arkansas and missed 21 tackles. So. While there's certainly a lot to discuss offensively for South Carolina, the turnovers, I think they had a couple three and outs, some big misses in the passing game. There's a lot there. The, the, the running game, we'll talk about all that. But I feel like the defensive performance has gotten a little bit maybe masked, a little bit hidden. Gamecocks were down multiple starters throughout the course of the game, obviously because of injuries. But nonetheless, Really, really difficult to play like that defensively and be able to win uh, against a quality team. Wes, are you ready to come on in? He's ready. What's that, Wes? Uh-oh. Should we switch? Yes. <laughs> we both clicked the button at the same time. I messed there up. We go. That was not very efficient. Not very efficient. I, I think but, we're good now, though. All right, so Wes, what we were talking about, man, to open. First of all, we uh, I shouted out. I was telling the people, I told you this, too. I saw so many Gamecock fans in Fayetteville. Absolutely insane. Um, a lot of people that recognize us from this show, which has been really cool. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Fayetteville later and what I saw. Highly recommend the trip. Uh, we thanked our main man, Clint Hammond. But where I went first with this was – I, I feel like South Carolina, the, the emphasis and most of the talk has been directed towards South Carolina's offense after the game. Am I wrong on that? Am I just kind of misinterpreting the conversation? I just feel like more people are talking about the offensive performance and the defensive performance after the game. 
Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of been the natural direction people have taken it the last year plus two days or two games, I should say. Um, I mean, the the trend that I think is kind of disturbing right now has just been the defense's um, production on the road, man. I mean, the difference in what has happened at home versus on the road. Now, some of that, you know, it's going to get skewed by opponents. Like, I think we got to take that into account. But just um, being down early on the road. And, uh, you know, I know Beamer responded, I think, to a question about that. Um, I can't remember if that was on his postgame video or the teleconference on Sunday. I think it was teleconference on Sunday. Uh, you know, it was 7-3 Arkansas at the end of the first quarter. But uh, I think Arkansas was driving on that drive. And, and as you said, they scored – you know, on their first three possessions um, offensively. So, you know, it, it was yet again another situation where South Carolina was having to fight back and battle back and, you know, just put the offense in a spot where they probably felt like they had to make plays, um, you know, eventually. You know, I, I think a lot has been made so far about the game plan when – you know, we we went into this game all week long talking about how South Carolina was going to have to throw the football, and we've talked all off season about you don't bring in Spencer Rattler to hand off the football. So, you know, I I think hindsight being twenty twenty, they probably could have ran the ball a bit better um, or a bit more because I think they ran they ran the ball better when they ran it against Arkansas than they did against Georgia State. Like I, I felt like they were more productive as far as creating some room. In the running game, looking back, maybe maybe you can d- give the defense a little bit more of a rest. Maybe you can kind of change the flow of the game. However, um, you know, I think you look back, they felt their best way was to create some some plays in the passing game. A lot of it was sort of that downfield or intermediate, sort of deeper intermediate passing game. And, um, you know, Chris, I look at that and I say – they they obviously were right in thinking they could hit some plays. They also missed some big plays down the field. And, you know, man, I, I think when you're sort of relying on that, it's not going to be as consistent. And that's kind of what we saw. It was, all right, they hit some of them, and that led to touchdowns. And they missed some, and that put them in, you know, third and long situations. And then they, you know, they, they didn't – they couldn't continue drives. So, I, uh, you know, I think you look, man uh, – Fat Joe weighing in saying Rattler looks wildly inaccurate. I, I think I disagree, man. I, I think I think Rattler, and I'm again, I don't think he has played his best yet. I think he's still figuring out this scheme and his players and you know his receivers and all that stuff. But I also feel like Rattler is because of the talent he has and because of the um, ability of what he did at Oklahoma. A lot of people are grading him on a bit of a curve, like. <laughs> And it's the opposite of, hey, we're going to give a freshman or something like that the benefit of the doubt. It's more like people expect him to be perfect at this point. Again, I'm not saying he played his best, but you look back, Chris, I did finally get to rewatch the game. There there were some throws he made that were absolute dimes, and there were some throws he made um, you know, that, that were incomplete, that were still great throws, and then there were a few where it – that just kept him from having that that just all-time massive game. Um, the play at the end of the first half, I keep going back to the one where he rolled away from pressure 
and threw it on the run into the back of the end zone and he missed A.B., if he hits that play, it is a completely different game. And I thought that dictated or that that sort of showed, I should say, um, kind of the difference in winning and losing a game like this. But also that the distance he threw that ball with little to no effort while rolling to the left. No, I don't I don't think I even appreciated it until I rewatched the game and I was like, he just flicked that ball to the back of the end zone from the 50 yard line while rolling left. Um, the the upside here is still tremendous. It's just a matter of putting it all together offensively. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up Spencer because I wanted to spend a, a little bit of time, a segment, if you will, on on him. I, I do think, and maybe you know we're partially to blame, but it was a huge storyline. I mean, it, you get so much hype, you know, and expectations when you get a guy like Spencer Rattler in the program. So naturally. We're going to talk about him a lot and what he means to the offense, and he does mean a lot. But it is. I mean, Spencer Rattler is not a senior in year four of a scheme. You know, this is this is a completely different scheme than what he was running against Oklahoma. And I think in some ways, I know nobody wants to hear this, but the reality of it is everybody is still feeling their way through it. There's timing with receivers. Shane Beamer alluded to that before even the season opener. There's timing with receivers. There's Spencer, you know, transitioning from a – fast-paced Oklahoma offense that's a lot different to this style of offense. The coaching staff is figuring out how how is what they have planned or what they think this offense could be. You you feel your way through that throughout the year, especially the early part of the year. And then the goal was hopefully for everybody to figure it out and continue to get better and better. Now, unfortunately, you got to go try to figure it out when you're playing Georgia next week. That's not easy. But I, I think Spencer, I totally agree, has not played the best, his best ball yet. I do think he played better than in week one. I also think that, fair or not, he has a lot more pressure on him here in Columbia than he did in Norman to be the guy. I think there's more on him um, to to go out there and make plays. And I do think, uh, he said this after game one, that he pressed sometimes. He wanted the throwback in the Georgia State game there. He forced it. He forced I think more than one throw in this game. Certainly you think about the interception. There were some times you, you pointed this out uh, on 107.5 today, Wes, where, you know, is he out of the pocket a little bit early at times? Maybe so. Conversely, there are other times where he's navigating and stepping up in the pocket and making a really nice throw. And the arm talent is – so the seats – that we had in Fayetteville West. It's a different perspective even than watching on TV. We were um, kind of in between the – pretty much on one of the – on the goal lines of the end zone. So kind of in a in a corner almost of the stadium. And so the throw that you mentioned where he's rolling to his left, when he threw that – I mean, first of all, I could tell, like, oh, it's going to be a little too far. But it was abs- – <laughs> I, I, like, laughed. I was like, how do you even throw that? Throwing it across your body. The, uh, he, the other couple, they were all to Mark, uh, Marion Brown, interestingly. I thought a Marion Brown, and Beamer pointed this out too, should have fought a little bit more on the first deep ball. Um, kind of waited on it, should have attacked it. The, the last one was very close. And, and that's why, I mean, throwing a 50 yard bomb is harder than completing an out route. 
you know, it's a harder throw. There's a lot that has to come together. But even that throw, I was like, wow, he absolutely aired that thing out. I mean, it was an impressive throw. So, look, the, the game plan to throw the ball made sense. A lot of people have talked about offensive identity with this team. They wanted to have an identity. And I do think that even in a loss, this team showed what the identity probably should be and may be throughout this season. And that is, despite what some want, this isn't going to be a power running team that lines up 35 times and runs it up the middle. That's not what they're good at. That's probably not what they're going to be. What it is probably going to be is an outside run team where you're trying to get the ball to Marshawn and Juju in space and you're getting Juice Wells involved because he looked really good and you're, you're riding Spencer Rattler and banking on him continuing to get better throughout the year. Brad says, at what point do we just blame Satterfield for creating the wrong scheme and calling the wrong plays? I think Brad, a lot of people, um, jumped to that, uh, spot game one of last year. So I don't know. I don't think that's a new thing. Uh, Sean says, Wes, are you wearing orange? No, I'm not. It's a red shirt, Sean. Um, let's see. What else we got? There's one I wanted to hit on. Where did it go? Van. There it is. Okay. I even have a, uh, I even have a screen for this if y'all hang tight, but Shane Beamer was asked about this. And, you know, I, I think this is something we talked about, Chris, um, at some point in the preseason. The additional guys at receiver. And, hey, how's this thing going to play out? Who's going to be the top guy? Is it a by committee? Does somebody emerge? Um, it was a question. It was the discussion. Like, it was, it was not a foregone conclusion that Josh Van was going to be the leading receiver this year, even though he was last year. And for one, I, I think we also have to remember, Chris, that this is a two-game sample size. So, um, you know, we, we had a call in on the 107.5 show and some some very valid points. Like, it was a well-thought-out call, but a lot of it was about statistics through two games. And you can have some very, very skewed stats through two games of a season. Just like, you know, one game, one guy can go off, the next game – that same guy could have two catches. Like, that's the way football is. If you play two really good rushing teams to start the season and a team in Georgia State that, frankly, didn't even run the ball that well against South Carolina but had two long runs and had nothing from their passing game, then guess what? Your rushing defense statistically is going to look awful. And I'm not even defending necessarily – the run defense against Arkansas, but guess what? Arkansas is going to run the football well against about everybody. So I think in everything we're talking about, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the games and, uh, you know, it's overreaction Monday. I get it, but we also got to remember that it's still two games in the year. There are going to be ups. There are going to be surprises to the positive in this season to come, and there's going to be some surprises to the negative to come as well. Because every time you think you got it figured out, you get surprised and you beat Auburn in Florida and then you lose to Missouri. Like that's the way football works. Um, as far as the Josh Van question, I mean, Shane Beamer, I, Chris, I, I thought this was as honest as a coach could say it. 
got to practice. This was when he was asked about Josh Van and the targets and kind of how the targets are being uh, distributed. Got to practice. The guys that practice the best are the ones who are going to play on Saturday. It's not like we had a plan to throw the ball to Juice Wells like we did. Juice Wells practices his ever-living rear end off. It shows on Saturdays. I'm not saying Josh doesn't. We had some things in the game plan for Josh yesterday. Yesterday, excuse me. Specific packages for Josh. We had him on a deep ball down the sideline. He's one-on-one with their corner, and we were not able to connect. But Beamer's point there is, for one, we got to remember, you can't just spoon-feed a receiver the football. Like, the play is going to dictate how the ball ends up. And Chris, for two, when Juice Wells comes on and has a great spring and then carries it over into the summer, he's going to get opportunities. When Amarion Brown has a great second offseason with South Carolina, he's going to get opportunities. Whoever makes the plays in the games will get more opportunities. So I don't think this means you give up on Josh Van because it's been two games. But also, again, just because Josh Van was the guy last year doesn't mean he's going to be given the chance to be the guy this year. That's right. And, you know, I think coming into the year, like you, you gave it kind of – it would be fair to give it the benefit of the doubt when you say, well, you know, who's going to kind of end up being the guy for South Carolina at receiver? It's entirely fair, I think, to say it's going to be Josh. I think I think that's who I picked, in fact, just because it's kind of a an unknown. He was a little bit more of a known commodity to me. But I, it was entirely fair to say, no, you know what, I, I think Juice Wells is going to come on or, or somebody else. And we had heard some things, Wes, that from back in the spring or even in the in preseason where you're going, okay, you know, the, the staff seems to really like what Wells is bringing to the table. And Jalen Brooks, when he returned, you know, you start hearing some things about how well he's played in preseason to where it's not a huge surprise. And you, you ultimately have to let it play out on the field. And, you know, I, I don't normally go super bold based on one game, but I think Juice Wells, looked like the best receiver on the field on Saturday for South Carolina. And certainly you kind of view that through the lens of what he did at James Madison and how dominant he was there. Um, I think you're going to see more of him going forward. I, I think that's entirely fair. Now, Jaheim Bell, he played 28 snaps on Saturday. He had four carries for five yards. So I think I think he had like a six or seven yard carry, and then he had some losses in there. Um, he was targeted once down downfield, at least once on a seam route where he drew a flag. I think some of the consternation about maybe how he's being used or how much I think it's fair, you know, maybe fair. He did have a drop in the game as well, but but I I go back to there's still limited opportunities. There's still one ball. And there's still other guys that you're sitting around going, well, why, why isn't this guy getting the ball? And there's about, out of all the, you know, however many skill guys, 10, however many it is, including backups, Wes, the, all of them get asked about of when are they going to get the ball. So I go back to what you said, and that is each game's kind of different. And I think it's going to, I'll take care of itself, but I do feel like getting Juice Wells the ball more is probably a good recipe for this offense. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I think with, with Jaheim Bell, 
Yes, I, I think trying to find ways to get him the ball in space, get the ball down the seam, stuff like that, certainly is going to be, um, I, I think, a priority. I think that's something that's going to happen. But also, to me, I go back to the small sample size as well. Like, Jaheim Bell has been a guy in his career to this point. He's had some massive games, but he has also had games where he hasn't had big statistical performances. And you can you can sort of cut it all down and try to figure out why that is. Is that him? Is that the offense? Is that just how it played out that day? Is that the scheme you're playing against, the players you're playing against? I don't know the answers, but that's how, that's how it's been. He had a huge game last year against Vanderbilt. Um, had a pretty big game against Eastern Illinois. Would have been bigger if the long run hadn't been called back. Obviously had a huge bowl game, but other games it hasn't, it hasn't been just like five catches for 60 yards each game. It's been more like some games it's massive, some games it's not. So, you know, I, I take that into account. Jaheim Bell is going to have his days where it's, where he has a massive day. And some, you know, some of his runs, I think people get mad about the, the outside run call although they they did have a negative play on that play um Saturday they also had a pretty big gain early on in the game off that play a lot of his other runs were short yardage Chris I can think of a he scored on the goal line that was a final touchdown that was when he was in that short yardage fullback spot he got stopped short I think it was a third and one or third and two um on the short yardage play but I mean, on those plays, you're kind of being asked to just stick your head into the fray, basically. You're not, you're probably not gonna have big gains off of those. So I, uh, I'm, I'm waiting to see, but I, I think a lot of it goes back to how many plays do you have in the game? If you, if you have a hundred offensive plays, you can move the ball around and get it to all those guys. If you don't have a bunch of offensive plays, we're always we can always pick somebody. Juice Wells had a huge game. If if Jaheim Bell had had a huge game, maybe we're saying, you know, well, why why didn't we're still saying why didn't Josh Van get the ball? Like you, you see what I'm saying? Like if you if you only have limited number of snaps, and I get it, to get more snaps you got to make more first downs, right? But if you have limited snaps, somebody has a big game. There's only so many targets available for everybody else. So it's going to ebb and flow as far as who the guy is on this offense, I think. Yeah, I think so. And, and Wes, when you look at kind of going back to what I said earlier, you know, who, who needs to be the guy for this offense? Who, who's the one guy that it should revolve around? You know, or what's the style or what's the identity? Again, I know everybody would like to say, well, South Carolina, should be able to line up and run it 30 times a game and run power and run counter and run inside. That does not appear to be a strength of this team. Now, we don't know fully, but I feel like we've probably seen enough to say that, especially when you consider competition level. And what we have seen is some glimpses, um, no matter what you think about how many times South Carolina ran it on Saturday, that they should have run it more, et cetera. The, the glimpses of what we've seen is that we know that Marshawn Lloyd is a guy who looks to bounce it outside more and is more adept at running it outside. And we know that Juju McDowell is also a guy who's pretty adept at outside runs. Christian Bill Smith, who was back from injury, only played one snap. And so the outside run 
and then look at your other, you know, what are your other strengths? Well, Spencer Rattler can be a strength for you because of the throws that he can make. And then you do have some guys like Juice Wells, Austin Stogner, Jaheim Bell, you know, man, you've got some guys in the passing game. So I think, again, we, we did, I believe, potentially learn some things about this team and what it may be going forward. Are, are they going to, you know, not go to the run that much the rest of the season? I don't think so. I, I don't, I don't think the ratio us will be that heavy. In a lot of games, there are going to be games where they probably run the ball more than we saw on Saturday. Um, but the possessions were limited. Certainly later in the game, y- you had to throw the ball more. And, and I want to get back to this. I- I'm just looking even in the comments, Wes, and there's nothing wrong with this. I just find it fascinating. I just feel like the <laughs> the defense's performance – I mean, it wasn't near good enough, and I recognize that they lost players during the game. I mean, you're down strong, you're down Kaba, and you feel for those guys. comes out that they've torn their ACLs. Horrific news for them for South Carolina. You're down R.J. Roderick. So Nick Eminwari is a freshman in his second game ever, plays 88 snaps, played every single snap. I recognize the challenges there and the difficulty in lining up against this offense, but I don't understand why the off, the defensive performance isn't get, getting just as much talk because they gave up 44 points, right? They gave up 154 yards after contact. They missed 21 tackles. That, to me, was every bit as alarming as everything we saw for the offense, which, by the way, did, despite all this, they did score 30 points, which we didn't see last season, even in games where it was garbage time or whatever. We didn't see that. So I, I just kind of find that interesting. Let's talk about the defense, Chris. And um, first of all, just some absolute brutal news today. Um, you you got to feel for these two guys, man. Jordan Strong, Mo Kaba. You kind of could tell that this was probably coming the way Beamer said it yesterday on the teleconference. He said, you know, essentially, these guys are out for the Georgia game, and we'll have more information later after we talk to those guys. That was a terrible sign. And then the news coming out today, these two guys are out for the season uh, with knee injuries. I mean, first of all, you just you hate it for the two guys. I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about what it means for the team. But, Chris, uh, by all indications, these two have had excellent off seasons. You don't get the praise that Strawn and Kaba have received from the coaching staff without doing things the right way, you know, and I, I think yep. – I, I just feel for the two kids. I mean, I know injuries are part of it, but this is – and the the older I get, the more I, like, try to think about this aspect of it. But just brutal for those two guys, man. We obviously want to wish them well because they – I think they were both set up for, for big seasons, which, um, you know, personally they've worked really hard to put themselves in that spot. Yeah, it, it, it is brutal. And, you know, Mo Kaba, man, this is – especially for him, someone who's already had an ACL tear – uh, that he dealt with senior year of high school. So when he gets to South Carolina, he's still recovering from that. And, and we've talked about this, man. It, it, it really set him back longer than typical, no fault of his own. Um, and he just this year as a true junior has gotten to a spot where he was, he looked totally healthy like himself and like the player physically, you know, that everybody thought he could be and, um, gutted, gutted for him about that, man, to, to, 
work so hard and be the most improved player of the spring and do everything right and win a starting job when maybe that wasn't fully expected um, and to take that next step, uh, that's tough. And then Jordan Strawn as a, as a super senior, you know, to come out and be a, a guy they're really heavily leaning on this year. Uh, tough deal, tough deal. So tough for the team and really, really tough for those guys, which I'm with you. I think about that more than anything now because, you know, you, you see how hard these guys work. You kind of get to know them, whether it's from recruiting or just them being around and, and they're, they're people, you know, and so it's a really, really tough deal for those guys. Yeah, it is, man. Um, had a question on here. I was thinking about this earlier. I don't have an answer for you. Um, Caden, could Strong come back next year? Now, he is a super senior, which means he is already pretty much, other than injuries, tapped out his eligibility this year. Um, however, you do have some leeway a lot of times when there are injuries, and I'm talking on the fly here. I haven't gone back through his career. He's already had one red shirt most of the time at least traditionally, to get that second red shirt as far as a medical goes. You needed for the first one to involve an injury as well. Um, I don't know if his first red shirt was just, hey, you know, this kid was a, a walk-on DB when he got there. That may have just been a regular red shirt. There may be an opportunity to go back, add on, say, you know, prove you were injured back then sometimes. It seems like the NCAA is a little bit more lenient in these situations these days. Also, it's going to be, what, what does he want to do? You know, a lot of times guys don't want to be in college for seven years. Um, typing over there, do you, do you have any better answer on if that would even be a possibility? I, I don't have a great answer other than I do know, Wes, that, uh, there have been instances of guys getting seventh years in, in the NCAA. It is more, I guess, rare because a, a lot of times you don't get that many injuries. B, does a guy want to continue his career past that point? C, you know, if you do have the injuries, you have to do all the paperwork, all that kind of stuff, and you have to be granted it. But um, it it does sometimes happen. Now, I've actually looked up something. There are extra year waivers for, like, extenuating circumstances like serious illness, natural disaster, bad advice or guidance. Um, but there are sometimes injuries. Um, there was a Texas Tech offensive lineman who got a seventh year. He missed four seasons in a row with injuries. A San Jose State running back had three years erased by injuries. So it's happened in the past. So I'd say it's probably too early to know overall for Jordan Strong, but certainly something that we'll uh, we'll be checking into. Yeah. So. Um... I tell you what, y'all, I'm I'm doing this on the fly, so don't hold me to this. However, um, Strawn in 2019 suffered a season-ending knee injury in the opening game at Tennessee, and on his current uh, bio. That year did not count as a red shirt. He had already used a red shirt. Um, he may, he may have a case. Like I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn on it, but seeing that, and now you're talking about 
that was the first game of the year. This is the second game of the year. Um, the, uh, it was already, he was already a super senior because of COVID. That didn't count against him. Um, but that injury did not happen in the same year as the COVID year. So the COVID year wasn't being counted, but that 2019 year was being counted when you call him a super senior. There may, if he wants to come back, um, there may actually be a case considering that aspect. Um, yeah. in my opinion. So we're talking a little out of turn again, uh, but we'll see. And I, I'm sure that's something South Carolina will explore. And then also, again, you just got to see what, what Strong himself wants to do and if he wants to come back and, and all those things, man. Um, on the team, as far as what this means, obviously, again, you know, we wish the two of them extremely well. Hopefully the recoveries go well. Um, pain-free recovery, all that good stuff. Chris, I really felt like both these guys were in a position to have big seasons for South Carolina. Beamer saying that Gilbert Edmond is sort of next man up. So, I mean, talk about going from last year not really playing much at all to, hey, you've you've got a reserve role on this team. I think, um, you know, has really taken a big jump, but now he's going to be asked to take a much bigger jump and based on what we saw on Saturday, I don't know if Beamer said this explicitly, but seems like Sherrod Green is probably the natural guy to step in. He played a bunch of snaps on Saturday. Seems like Sherrod would be the guy to replace Mo Caba. Yeah, and, you know, to, to go with linebacker first, it, it's a good thing for South Carolina that they were able to, in the offseason, develop a little bit more depth. I mean, that's – we talked a lot about that, you know, the past few years, Wes – just how many snaps all the linebackers are playing. Um, they would typically have two guys that played almost every snap in a game. And then you'd have a guy, Mo Caba was that guy for a couple seasons that would play a hundred something snaps over the course of an entire year. So, you know, 10 to 15 a game, roughly. You need more than that. And so they were able to build up the depth to where you had, you know, a two deep and then you had, maybe even another guy or two behind that. So now you've, you know, for the second year in a row, you've lost a starting linebacker in the second game of the year. And now you're, you're, you're taking a reserve and putting him in a starting spot. Now they're in a little better spot this season because Sherrod Green is a guy who has been a starter and he's been around a while and he's played a lot of football, but it does dip into your depth. And so will we see more of, uh, you know, probably even more Debo Williams than planned? Probably so. Will we see a little more Stone Blanton? Maybe. Will Bam Martin Scott, who's played special teams, factor in a little bit more? They, that's something they may look at. I think in general, the starters are going to be playing probably more snaps now. So that dips into your depth. And then Wes at edge, I mean, this was, this was a concern area going into the year, even with the healthy Jordan Strawn. Could Jordan Strong and Jordan Birch take that next step? And then could the guys behind them, namely Edmund, Tyreek Johnson, um, you know, Tyreek uh, Dawkins, you know, these are guys that needed to take a step forward. Um, now, Edmund, we heard some good things about in the offseason, but it's, it's a big difference between being a 20-snap reserve guy who maybe is coming in to rush the passer for you and now being a starter. So there's going to be some growing up fast there, and there's no doubt that the defense, you know, has taken a hit here. It's taken a hit. 
<clears throat> Definitely, man. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to everybody if I start going into the matrix here. My connection is not acting all that stable right now, so it may go in and out here. Hopefully it, it hangs hangs in there for about 16 more minutes. Um, before it does go out, I need to tell you all about our friends at Liberty Tax. Uh, overcome your tax anxiety. 803-462-5576. If you are a business owner or a contractor, if you're frustrated by keeping up with your bank statements or your QuickBooks, the tax team at Liberty Tax can handle your bookkeeping and payroll services. They have a QuickBooks pro advisor on staff. You can do what you do, do best, make some money, and make your business successful, and you can let Liberty Tax do the rest. Uh, the tax team at Liberty Tax has locations in Irmo, Columbia, and Lexington. Give them a call, 803-462-5576. Again, 803-462-5576. Chris, um, there is an aspect of this game worth noting, and to me, that is that in a lot of ways, Arkansas – is who we thought they were like we we like to think we can sort of predict at least how a game's gonna flow i'm off at predicting scores like i've never pretended i can predict scores but i think as and, and if we're dead wrong on something hopefully y'all feel like we'll come back and be like y'all are completely wrong as far as what you said on that i feel like us and most everybody else breaking down what this game might be it sort of played out the way we thought as far as Arkansas just trying to dictate the flow of the game, running the football with Sanders and Jefferson, and then you sort of said, well, can South Carolina force them to throw the ball? Can they put them behind the sticks? Or, you know, if they can't, it's going to be a long day. You said, hey, there's going to be some opportunities for big plays in the passing game for South Carolina. If they hit several of them, maybe they go down there and just pull the upset. If they miss them, probably going to be a long day. Those things, those exact things happened. Um, you go in, sort of, the percentages were against South Carolina to win this game. Arkansas is a better team. Like, that's, that's part of it. Yep. Right now, they're just a better team, man. So, uh, you know, yeah, it, as a fan out there, yeah, it sucks. I get it. You don't want to start one and one and be staring down Georgia. You don't want to be staring down 0 and 2 in the SEC. But at the same time, on paper, this is kind of where South Carolina is right now. It doesn't mean the season is over. And I think we kind of have to, when it comes down to it, acknowledge South Carolina's issues while also saying that's a, that's definitely a good Arkansas team. I, I don't know, Chris, how, where you put them at. You saw them in person. They yeah. might be a really good Arkansas team. They might be a great Arkansas team. We'll, we'll find out as the season goes on. Um, but where, where do you put them, man? I mean, they obviously, I think at the very least, are a good to potentially very good team. Yeah, I, I think in some ways they're similar to last season. So what were they? They were 4-4 four and four in conference last year and had some big near misses. I mean, they got destroyed by Georgia. That was an outlier. But they lost by Ole Miss, to Ole Miss by what, one? They beat Auburn. They almost beat Alabama. You know, so they beat A&M. They beat A&M. I, I looked at Arkansas's schedule today, and they do have a difficult schedule, obviously, playing in the West. But when I looked up and down their schedule, particularly like with what we saw with Bama, Texas, uh, they, Bama pretty much got outplayed by Texas. Now, is Texas finally back after, you know, for the 55th year in a row? Or, um, you know, did, did Alabama just not play well? But when I look up and down the schedule after seeing Arkansas, I don't go, 
well, there's no way they're winning this game, this game, this game. I see, I see every game as them having a chance to win. Now, does that mean I pick them in every game? No, I don't think so. But is it out of the realm of possibility they can beat Bama? Well, no, they almost did it last year. Bama was really, really good last year. Um, and there's a lot of similarities with this Arkansas team. Will they be favored against LSU? Maybe. Can they beat A&M? Absolutely. I don't know if it'll definitely happen, but they can. App State just beat A&M. Um, so I think they're, I think they're really, really good offensively because they can run the ball. Their scheme is very difficult to defend. They have guys that can make you miss and get the extra yardage with Rocket Sanders, with KJ Jefferson. KJ Jefferson can make off platform plays, extending plays, um, throwing on the run. And he takes such good care of the ball. Four picks last year. Hasn't thrown a pick th- through the first two weeks. Now, defensively, I-, I think Arkansas has issues defensively, especially when they're down a couple guys, and South Carolina was able to exploit that. But the big difference is exactly what we said, Wes. Cincinnati threw for 300-something yards, but they missed another, I don't know, just spitball an 80 to 100 in the passing game by missing some big plays. Could South Carolina convert those? You had to bank on them doing it. They didn't. They also had several near misses that could have been huge plays or even touchdowns, and and that was one of the differences in the game. But I was very, very impressed with Arkansas, especially offensively, and um, I think that showed how much better they were, especially on that side of the ball uh, on Saturday. Yeah, man, and I I think um, one of the best analogies I have heard, I'd actually never heard this before, but the announcers for the Cincinnati game, Arkansas-Cincinnati, when I was trying to watch some of that game to get an idea of what to expect, the guy compared those missed balls, those deep passes, to a long fly ball, that to a home run that's foul, basically, in baseball, where the the guy just turns on it, smashes it, hits it 395 feet, but it's two feet foul. It's just a long strike. It, do, it doesn't do anything for you, but make you go, man, that was a, that was a close miss. And I kept thinking about that throughout the game Saturday. I was like, South Carolina has had three or four long home run foul balls in this game. If you hit, I don't know, man, even one of them, maybe, maybe changes the complexion of that game. You can if, you know, I know ifs, ands, or buts and all that. Arkansas deserved to win the game. They absolutely did. They're the best team. They deserved to win the game. But it, it is it was very interesting that we were talking about all these things leading into the game, and that is kind of how it played out. Um, I, I think for Carolina men, next step. I don't I don't hear anybody yet in the fan base probably won't throughout the week predicting South Carolina to beat Georgia. I, I think. So, you know, survive this week. We'll see what happens. Maybe they surprise us and get in a close game and the ball bounces their way. But I think the key, especially once you get into those next two games, when you have Charlotte and SC State coming to town, start to build some more of that depth. Beamer talked about wanting to get more guys involved. Um, I think those are the two games where you can really kind of start to get right. I think the key right now for Beamer and company, for the staff, for everybody involved. We've talked about the culture all offseason. I know he's talked about culture, you know, a ton since he got here, building that culture. You got to keep 
you got to keep everybody rowing the same direction. You you've hit your adversity of the season. Good chance you're going to hit more this weekend. You got to keep everybody on the same page, because then you're going to have a couple of games to get right, mm-hmm. and then you're going to have a trip to Kentucky that could define the middle part of the season. Yeah, and I think there were some things in the Arkansas game. Beamer, I believe, said that he told the team afterwards that he thinks they can still be a good team and thinks that they actually got better than week one. You know what? I I agree. I I think for all the talk about the offense, defense, special teams, even West, the very reliable special, they didn't even have a good day. That's the thing. South Carolina lost in, you know, at at times a relatively close game. I mean, they were down 21-16 and got the ball back, you know, in that game and, and were very much in it and it got away. And they started very slow, and they ended very slow. Um, but there were some things even within the course of that game that you can feel good about. Did the offense improve from week one to week two? I think so. You're playing against better competition. You're on the road. You hit some explosives. You put some things together. You didn't score 30 points at all last year on the road. You only scored 30 points three times last year in general. Eastern Illinois, Florida, and North Carolina in the bowl game. Eastern Illinois is terrible. Florida was a train wreck by that time. And North Carolina's defense was not good either. So, I mean, this is – the Arkansas defense is not great. That's not one of the best defenses in the SEC. But are there some things you can build on offensively from what you saw? Can you take the good and try to eliminate the bad that you saw? Maybe. Defensively, can you pick yourself up off the mat? Can you not have that poor of a tackling performance? Can you clean up special teams? I think so. You know, so there's a lot of wait and sees there, but there's some are some things that you can take from that game going forward and point to them and say, hey, this was not good. This was good. There's no reason to fold your tent. And I do think Shane Beamer has done a good job of that. Um, throughout his time at South Carolina, you look at last year, there are a lot of really, really highs and a lot of really, really lows, right? And so what you want to do is try to string together more of the highs. Unfortunately, you're coming off a disappointing loss and you bring in the number one team in the country and it's not a great matchup in a lot of ways. Um, but I think Beamer has instilled in this team how challenging it is going to be. So can, you know, one of the things we talked about, Wes, off season, I'm gonna shut up after this. This could be a better football team, but the record may not show some vast improvement. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the year, we'll look back and say that is the one kind of bolder prediction I make that this is a better football team, more competitive overall. But I don't, I don't know what the record's gonna look like right now. That's kind of a, a to be determined. Yeah, some talk on here on the chat, uh, Adam and Justin about Arkansas's linebackers. I, I do think defensively struggle, big struggle for them in the secondary. Kind of a typical SEC defensive line, I think. Middle of the pack, maybe. I don't know. Their linebackers credit where it's due. Those guys were flying around. They got to the football and they did a, a great, Barry Odom did a great job of using those guys, y'all. I mean, they, they waffled back and forth between Three men, drop eight, then bring five, but then drop it. It was it was like 
there wasn't they did a good job of just mixing it up and they it seemed like they were using those guys on either um delayed blitzes or what I've heard some coaches call like green dogging where you're able to you're dropped into coverage but if you see your man is pass blocking so if you're a linebacker you've got the running back your guy pass blocks you have the freedom to go get the quarterback cuz your guy's not in a route so you know, man, I, I thought those guys either by design or just by what they're allowed to do is with freedom within this defense for Arkansas, they did a good job of using them and getting them into the backfield and letting them make plays. So credit to them for that. They they took their strength and said, we're going to let those guys go make plays. And that's a good staff too, man. Barry Odom on defense, Kendall Bryles on offense, a really good staff for Arkansas. So sometimes you also got to just tip your hat to the other team. And I you know, Chris, I think through two games, like we, we wondered coming into the season, how big of a jump is it, I guess, realistic to expect South Carolina to make? How much of last season do you point to, you know, big wins over North Carolina, Florida, Auburn? How much of last season do you point to, you know, blown out at A&M, struggled to beat ECU, uh, you know, the games where it was just, you know, lost to Missouri where it was ugly. So I I think you're exactly right. Like, this is a better football team. Even with the good and the bad of the first two games, I think that's fairly apparent. This is a better football team. To your point, we still don't know what that's going to mean. And ultimately, can can you hang in there and have a shot to beat Kentucky, who had a huge win over Florida this weekend? Can you, can you beat Missouri this year? That, that's a game you have to win if you're South Carolina, you know? But, you know, this team will probably beat a team we don't expect them to. Like, they probably will, but they will also probably be in a tight game at some point in what is a long season with a team we expect them to beat. And it'll be, can you make some late plays to win it, you know? No, didn't that already happen in some ways against Georgia State where you you look up after the half and they're in a tight game? And and they did pull away. But, yeah – you know, I, I think in at some spots they're just straight up better than last season. In some spots they maybe missed some guys from last year, and in some spots there's still depth issues. And I think one of them, West, is on defense. I mean, that's that's a worrisome spot now. When especially now, yeah, yeah, now. Um, I know Nick Mori is a really good, highest rate graded defensive player according to PFF as a true freshman in his second game, SEC road game, and played all 88 snaps. First of all, you don't want to play 88 snaps on defense in total. And you don't want one guy playing all of them. And, I, you know, being on the field, it is a little bit of a different perspective being at a game in person. Nick was absolutely gassed during that game sometimes, and he fought. And, yeah, he had a freshman moment, but the guy is a warrior. Um they, they're just, they don't have enough depth at some spots. And I think edge is now, you know, a really, really big concern. So they got to continue to develop some of that. Uh, they've obviously got some things to clean up. They can play better. That, that, that's one thing. When you look at a team, especially like offensively, Wes, and you say they can play better, that's good. <laughs> there were some times last season you're looking at the offense and you're saying, this is probably it. You know, um, I, I don't have that feeling about this year's offense. Not to say they're going to come out and 
start going up and down the field on Georgia. They're going to score 40 points a game. But I do think they showed some things that, that give the impression that if they clean it up and they hit on, you know, they're able to string together more of the highs and the big plays that we saw that this can be a better team offensively. Yeah, 100% agree, man. And they're, they're probably going to have to be with some of the losses on defense unless they just have guys, you know, really step it up. I, I think you lost those two guys, obviously. Um, you know, you were missing Cam Smith for a good portion of this game as well. Luckily, Cam's going to be back, it sounds like. But, um, you know, you were missing some difference makers on that defense. I will say this, man. I'm glad you brought up Nick. That's that's something good. Let's close out on a positive. Um, he was all over the field. And really, I mean, Chris, I hate to say it. Eamon Worry was one of the few. I was about to say the only guy. That's maybe a little bit too strong. <laughs> He was one of the few guys that was able to get to KJ Jefferson and able to stop him in his tracks. There was one play where the two of them collided and I think they both felt it. Like you could just tell like there was a shot of both of them sort of close and they were both kind of like that was that was a collision. <laughs> um but yeah. man he clo- he closed on Jefferson and Kept him out of the end zone, kept him from – now, I think they ended up scoring on, you know, on some of those plays or ended up getting the first down on the next play. But, we, you know, we talked about the the hype for this kid when he first arrived. But even then, we don't know. All that means is he's he's situated himself well as a true freshman in not even camp yet, the weight room. That doesn't mean he's going to be – freshman all sec all that means is he's he's gotten in he's he's done well so far yep he's he's already better i had huge expectations for him he's already better than i expected him to be i don't i don't think we're overreacting on two games like he has it in my opinion i think shane beamer does and really his whole staff i think to give credit where it's due like the press conferences that white and limbo and satterfield do and Beamer, you don't get a bunch of coach speak, which is cool. They will be pretty honest about things. Now, they're not going to talk about everything and give away, you know, everything. But I found Beamer's post-game press conference and the Sunday teleconference to be very insightful. Like I learned a lot from both of those um, instead of just, I oh, will get it fixed and, and move on. You know, he will actually break things down. One of the things, hidden nugget that he said there, he said Nick Eamonwari was one of the best six players on the field, any position, any class, whatever, on that game on Saturday. That's pretty good. You got a bunch of former five-star. You got K.J. Jefferson. You got some good players at South Carolina. Drew Sanders, the other bumper pool, but Drew Sanders, amazing. I was super impressed with him, Arkansas linebacker. That's high praise. Now, Beamer, a little biased, maybe. But that's high praise. So, um, yeah, that was a great performance by Nick Eamonwari. He's going to be – keep saying he's going to be one heck of a player. He's already a good player. He's so. already there is the, is the crazy thing, which is something uh, else. Yeah, so finish it off on positives. Nick, I thought Darius Rush actually had a really good game. Um, I thought Jordan Birch made some plays. Probably didn't get his, enough credit for the game he had. Obviously, on offense, Juice Wells. We talked about Rattler. Yeah, it wasn't 
at his absolute best, but he also threw some dimes, man. He made a couple throws. There was there was a little quick pass out to Juju on third down where Juju and is there a linebacker or safety? I can't remember. They sort of all got to the ball at the same time. Juju had his hands on it. Ball fell incomplete, but it, it was close to being a first down if he could have held on. He threw this thing off his back foot with a guy right in his face and put it right on Juju. So, yeah, there were some misses. There were, once again, I think you said it this way against Georgia State, there were some throws only he could make. And there were some throws that only he, and I'm not just talking about on South Carolina's team, that very few guys in the country at the college level can make. So, you know, Rattler did those. I thought Stogner actually had a really good game, both blocking and had a couple of big catches. And then Marshawn Lloyd, man, I left also saying they got to find more ways to get him the ball in space because when you get him out there, he that that first screen pass where he sort of ran through and spun off a guy, that that was special. So I think continue to find the ways to get one uh, the ball, but in the situations that fit his skill set, I think will be important as this year goes on. Um, all right, obviously we'll have uh, GC Live the night show tomorrow with Mike. Wednesday, Chris and I will start to dive in full steam ahead into Georgia. Um, 107.5 show again every single day, 11 o'clock. Chris, give me your final thoughts. You opened it. You can close it. Final thoughts on South Carolina's loss to Arkansas. Yeah, to, to go off what you said, I'll go bigger picture. Um, there were some positives in there. It, it wasn't like one of the games where you walk away. Last season, there were some games offensively. Where said, I'm not really seeing much here. Um, you hit on all the points I would hit on. Austin Stogner, big block on that Juice Wells long catch and run, too. Leveled somebody. Um did South Carolina find something? Can they go back and look at the first two games and say, okay, here's more of a formula? Can they find a way to make it, not that he can't handle it, but make it even easier on Spencer Rattler to be able to unleash his, his, the power of his arm and what he can do? Can you get that timing down a little bit more to where maybe when you're taking four or five deep shots a game, maybe you're hitting a couple of them now. Can you figure out Jaheim Bell? Um, again, I think there were some signs even in a loss that were encouraging offensively. And South Carolina, quite frankly, I think is going to have to be maybe a little bit even better than we thought they needed to be, you know, to win some games. So that'll be a, a key factor going forward. By the way, um, as we were closing out, South Carolina sent out their game notes, Chris. Um They've actually been updating or tweaking the depth chart. So, as you would expect, and as Beamer said, Gilbert Edmond listed as the starter now at edge opposite Jordan Birch. Uh, Tyreek Johnson, as you would expect, and Terrell Dawkins are now the two backups. Um, weak side linebacker, still Brad Johnson and Debo Williams. Starter at the mic is Sherrod Green with Stone Blanton. Again, I, I guess that's probably who you would have expected. Stone Blanton now listed as your backup at middle linebacker. I think um, that means he's going to play. He's going to have an opportunity to go in there and, and see what he can do. And then Chris, starting strong safety, listed as R.J. Roderick or Nicky Memori. So Roderick sounds like he will be back, but um, you you never say never, but I can't take 21 
out of the starting lineup. You you just can't. You muted, Chris. Made it the whole show. <laughs> but like, well, I just I can't do it. You can't. It. I know. I know. Have we gotten through a whole show without doing a? a... Yes. Lately, it's been tough. Yeah. All right. So even with R.J. Roderick, a fully healthy R.J. Roderick, there was a thought that Nick Eamon Worry may, because of how good he had been in preseason, eventually earn his way into this guy's a little too good not to start. And now with Roderick going down early in the Georgia State game, he played basically that entire game and then played definitely the entire game against Arkansas. And so now you see that track record and he has the film, so to speak. I I think it happens. If not this game soon. Well and it, it does we we got some very smart fans in our chat. Somebody saying Nick needs to play nickel. What's up, Travis? How you doing, man? Uh, and Brandon saying, I want RJ in the box. My first thought with even worries, uh, you know, emergence, I guess is the word, was do you I, – I, I wouldn't move even worry even if long-term I think he's a nickel. Long-term he may be a linebacker. But I'd keep him right where he is at this point. But I remember, and I can't place when he said this, but I remember Clayton White saying something at some point along the way about liking RJ at nickel. But they just – there was no way to pull the trigger on that move with what they had at safety coming in. Does it – it depends on who you think your best 11 are. But are there scenarios where you might want Cam Smith and Darius Rush on the outside, Eamon Worry, Devonnie Reed at safety, and R.J. Roderick at nickel. That could be a possibility. That could be a set you look at. And you would always have the ability, if you need to get somebody in or out, or if somebody else gets hurt, to slide R.J. back and go back to what you've been doing. But I did notice Marcellus Dial playing a lot of nickel this week with Cam on the outside, whereas last week there was a lot of Cam at nickel. Yep. So they're they're open to play in the matchups there. But... That will be something to keep an eye on, I think. It is, and, and the staffs they've shown that they're not, you know, scared to make those adjustments. I mean, I, I thought it was very interesting that even though it makes total sense to do it, you don't always see staffs do that. You, you kind of just say, well, this is our nickel. This is who it is, you know. This is how we've always done it, which is a terrible phrase to utter. Um, so there might be some flexibility there with the different skill sets and um, the, the the secondary fortunately you know avoided Darius Rush went down Cam Smith went down Darius returned um OD Fortune played probably the most snaps he's ever played Wes so he got some valuable experience in that game be fascinating to see how they structure the secondary going forward yeah and they they went OD um in those scenarios not Kwan Banks after going Kwan Banks last week so all right y'all that's an hour and 11 minutes um we're gonna get out of here we'll have plenty more to talk about throughout the week He's Chris. I'm Wes. As always, appreciate y'all joining us. Check out GamecockCentral.com. You can still get in for 10 bucks for one year, so come check us out. GamecockCentral.com. We'll see you soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.